highest grossing films of all time, and it grossed $827 million, right? Almost a billion dollars, man. But what's cool about this is, you know, Peter Parker and the story, this guy gets superpowers and Spider-Man and all of this good stuff. But there's a scene in the original comic and also in this movie right when Peter Parker has gotten bit by the spider and he's starting to get all of his superpowers and some things are happening within his family and his parents have passed away and Uncle Ben and Aunt May are raising Peter Parker. And there's a scene where they're in the car in this movie and Uncle Ben turns to Peter and he says a very famous phrase. He says the exact words are, With great power, Peter, comes great responsibility. Now, what's interesting is, is that's not, you know, Peter Parker and Spider-Man did not come up with that. If you trace the etymology of that phrase, it goes as far back as the 1600s in the French Revolution. It's been quoted by Teddy Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, many, many people. But if you keep tracing it back, it finds its roots in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Basically, essentially what Jesus is saying is, Whom he has given much to, much will be required of them. And this parable is a pretty intense parable. And a parable, maybe you didn't grow up in church, don't know what that is. It's it's an earthly story that Jesus tells to prove and illustrate a heavenly point. And it's summed up in verse 40 when he's talking about what it's going to be like when he ascends into heaven and goes away. And then Peter even asks, who is this parable for? And Jesus clarifies, it's for my disciples, my people who are following me. And Jesus essentially says, when I go away, I'm going to give my disciples, my followers, work to do. Now, anytime we study the Bible, first we have to understand what it meant to them, what it's saying, and then what it means to us. But if Jesus says that this is for his disciples and his followers, then it's not just for Peter and those guys, but it's also for us, right? I mean, this parable has application to our life. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is for me. This is for me, right? This is for me. This is for you. And so the big idea that I want us to understand today about this is this concept. Jesus has entrusted us with kingdom work, and he also empowers us to accomplish it. Jesus has entrusted us with kingdom work, but he also empowers us to accomplish it. So here's what I want to do today on this sort of standalone and holiday weekend. I really want to bring the boots to the ground as to what does this mean for us as a body at Westside. Because if we are the followers of Jesus Christ, and if we are his disciples, and he says, I have given you work to accomplish, I want to look at really two things. What... Has he entrusted to us? And how does he empower us to accomplish that as a people? Not as an ethereal concept of, oh, you know, this study, Bible study. But us here locally at Westside Church of God in Popper Bluff, Missouri in 2018. And so the first question that we have to ask and look at is what God has entrusted to us. If you look in the parable in verse 44, Jesus in verse 43 He says, actually jump up to verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager 
whom his master will set over his household. Now here's the phrase, to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Here's what's crazy. Here's what Jesus is saying in a story format. I am giving my people responsibilities. I'm entrusting, like let this sink in, okay, right? I'm entrusting the people who follow me and love me with the work of the kingdom. That means you, right? That means me. That means literally, like think about this, God's plan for the world, I believe, is the local church. There's there's no other plan. God's plan for the world is the local church, a community of people worshiping together in a place that they live to expand his kingdom and to push back darkness. And God's plan is to accomplish that through us. (laughs) Oh, Lord, right? This is a big deal. But here's what's cool about this is this also separates Christianity from all other religions is that we don't have a distant God, but rather a God who is partnering with us and working through us. But the question we have to ask is, what is Jesus entrusted to us? What is Jesus giving us that we would expand the kingdom and to push back darkness? Well, the first thing is this, is that God has given us People. People. You see, the whole key behind everything is people. People are the point. When Jesus talks about the harvest being plentiful, but the workers being few, what he's talking about is that there are people out there who don't know me and who don't know that I have this plan and who don't know that they were created by me and for me. Many of you may not know sort of the story of Westside. Westside's been in the community for over 60 years and it's been a faithful serving community and an influence here in Popper Bluff. Um, This past uh, August, Will be uh, was my four-year anniversary. And so when I came in, there were about 25 votes cast for me to be pastor. That was everybody, their dog, cousin, aunt, uncle, and everybody. And the Lord had kept a faithful remnant of people who were, who were ready and willing to work and to serve in his providence. And today, now fast forward, maybe you've only been coming for the past couple of months and you just sort of think everything that's happening is normal. But now for us, on an average Sunday with two services, we average anywhere between 350 to about 370 people. Now, what's difficult is that average number is actually low. Like two Sundays ago, we were at like almost 460 people um, between both services. Why, Why do I make mention of that and why am I taking a Sunday to talk about these things? Well, the first thing is this, is that we've also gained 73 new members just last year who have gone through the connection class, who have studied, who are in agreement with our beliefs, the way that we govern and structure our church, the mission, the vision, and all of those things. Why why is that important? It's not important because numbers are important. And people often argue, oh, you know, you shouldn't do numbers. Well, the Bible does numbers, right? In Acts chapter 2, it says 2,000 people were saved that day. Why do numbers matter? Because every number has a name, and every name was created by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Another reason why that's significant is because every major study reports that 87% of churches report either a plateau or decline within their attendance. The reason why I always bring this up and try to lay this before you is two things. Number one, may we never, Westside, may we never get used to what God is doing in this church. When we have a baptismal service and we baptize 12 or 13 people, do you understand that that is a miraculous thing that's taking place? That it is the public profession of faith for someone who has said that I am now bought by Jesus Christ? That's a supernatural thing. People um, in the flesh just don't wake up on a random day and go, you know what, I think I need to get baptized today. Just really been thinking about it. Probably, I mean, like, that is an act of God and what he's doing. And especially in this day and time in 2018, when the nation is divided and truth is now what is true to you and all of these things, for us to see people coming in through these doors and participating in the life and community of our church is a supernatural thing. May we never get used to this. But the second reason why I bring it up is because of this. People are the point. (laughs) People are the point. Do you know what's not the point? Vacation Bible school. Programs. Coffee out in the lobby. None of that's the point. The point is for people who are far away from Jesus Christ to come to know Him, and people who already know Jesus Christ, to love Him and grow in Him more and more each day. People are the point. And when you look at Jesus' ministry, that's what Jesus fought against all the time. That the Pharisees and the Sadducees always wanted this institutional sort of mindset. And listen, when the church of Jesus Christ goes from being an organism to an an organization, something dies. When the church focuses on programs and not people, something dies. Because look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, reported of his ministry. When he saw the crowds. Who are the crowds? What are crowds? People. When Jesus saw the people, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. So listen, when Jesus looked at people, he had compassion And loved people. Tom Rainer, who is the president of Lifeway, says this is the number one sign of a dying church. When the preferences of the church members are greater than their passion for the gospel, the church is dying. Listen to me. When your main objective becomes preferences over people, that's a problem. And Leonard Ravenhill always said, those who resist the current move of God were often leaders in the last move of God. And I'm not down for sitting around drinking a cup of coffee talking about the good old days. The book of Ecclesiastes says, he who looks back upon former days and says it is better than this is an idiot. I'm just quoting the Bible. Just read your Bible. All right? And so when it happens, when we become inward focused, here's the thing. 
when we put me before we, it kills everything. Just try that in your marriage sometime, right? Some of you are in it right now. How's that going for you, right? When you put me before we, it kills everything. There's a little bit of a problem here, though, right? And this statement is it, right? This is the most profound thing you'll learn today. Where there are people, there are problems. And the church said amen, right? That's what makes this difficult. That's what makes church hard, is because it is imperfect people trying to carry out a perfect plan and a perfect kingdom. But listen to me, I love the local church. I love this church. I'm giving my life for this. I don't believe, I believe that there is no greater institution in the world. I love our founding constitution. I love the way our government, I love the genius of all of that. But listen to me, I believe the greatest institution on the earth is the church of Jesus Christ. It is supernaturally birthed. And when you look through the history of the ages, just look at the history of hospitals. There's not a single hospital named Darwin Hospital. You were saying, right? Orphanages. That's the history of the church, man. That is our legacy. And yes, it is imperfect. And yes, there are difficulties there. One of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, on April 5th, 1859, said this to his church. Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you will feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And at the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I surely would have ruined it. For I would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for the family of God. Oh, nobody talks like that anymore. The reason why I say that God has entrusted us with people is because I want us to understand how precious that is. I will never forget the day that I drove away almost three and a half years ago from this parking lot, and I remembered on that nursery Sunday, back in the nursery, we had three babies. And I drove away. I thought, God, people are coming. And they're giving us their children. People are coming. And they're entrusting us with their spiritual journey. Oh, goodness, we are not perfect. But I believe that we're a good church. Not a perfect one, but a good one. And just be here for a little while. I'll hurt your feelings. You'll hurt my feelings. I'll get mad at you. You'll get mad at me. We'll have a cup of coffee. We'll hug. We'll pray. We'll get over it. Put your big boy pants on, okay? 
but we're striving towards something. We're doing something. And at this point, the larger that we get, as we're going to learn in this upcoming series, we're going to now need the body to start taking care of the body. Not just me, but rather, as 1 Peter says, for we're a priesthood of believers. Did you know that in the church, and according to Jesus Christ, that you carry the same authority that I do? I mean, like, there ain't nothing special about me. Just ask my wife, bro. You know what I'm saying? And so God has entrusted us with people because people are the point. But we have to narrow down a little bit more, and this is a big deal. God has not only entrusted us with people, but God has entrusted us with children. Now, this is why this is a big deal. If you were at our budget meeting this year, you, these numbers are familiar to you. But for us at Westside, when you drop a child off back there, we have a check-in station. They get a label. We sort of kind of herd them like cattle without the prods type of a thing. You know what I mean? But for us, we average about 114 kids a month that are being checked in. That's about 45 kids a week. And last year alone, for first-time guests, first-time people came and brought their baby and passed that precious child off to us, we had 62 kids last year for first-time check-ins. Do you understand how big of a deal that is? Not just when it comes to people trusting us, but when it comes to the church. Every gospel... Every gospel records something fundamental about Jesus' ministry and children. There's a scene in Matthew's gospel. It says, The people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Do you know what you know what's happening here, right? Jesus is sitting down. He's sort of like a rapper who wins a Grammy. Like the one guy won the Grammy. There's 47 guys on stage, right? We don't even know. Like, so Jesus is rolling with a posse now. And so when he sits down, there's crowds of people around him. And people are bringing Jesus their children. And they want a blessing. They want Jesus to pray over them and to love on them. And the disciples, remember the guys we put in stained glass windows who were serious all the time, right? The disciples were like, "Uh uh-uh, get those snotty-nosed kids out of here. They're ruining everything, right? We, got, we have serious work to do for God, brother. Don't bring those babies here. We got theological questions that we need to answer today, right? And Jesus said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Do not hinder hinder them. I don't know about you, but like when you're around a mama who's protective of that baby and you come in between that baby and that mama, it's going to go bad for you, right? Such as it is with Jesus and the children in the church. Jesus said there's something here that is of a mystery. Yes, it's difficult, but it is important to me So therefore, us as a church must place that as an importance as well. And listen, I'll just be frank. You might not come back after that. It's okay. We need your seat. All right. But listen to me. If you have not, if you're a member and you have not served back there in nursery or you put on blockout dates just so when it's convenient for you and you're sick whenever you have to work in nursery, we don't need you anymore. Okay. Do not hinder them. 
And if you think that it is below you to be in the nursery, and men, look up here real quick, all right? That's not a place for a woman, right? I don't need guys who are going to solve every theological discussion and we can build a fence and do all this. I need you in the nursery so these children can see that men can serve in the nursery. Am I making myself clear? All right, I'm about to preach anger. You better stop me, all right? So you need to be in there. There's no theological ranking here, all right? So I don't need you full-time what you're not already doing part-time. This is important for us because God has given us this. He's entrusted this to us. And I don't know about you, but on the day of judgment, as it says, when we give it an account for what he's entrusted to us, I don't ever want to stand in front of him when he said, do not hinder them and me go, well, I just spend too much time around my own babies. I didn't want to spend time around somebody else's. Anyone? Because here's the reason why. That a healthy children's ministry produces a healthy student ministry. A healthy student ministry produces healthy disciples, and healthy disciples become really, really good church members, okay? So for those babies that are laying back there in those cribs and in those walkers, listen to me. That is the spiritual state of our church. And that is who we pass off this baton as to what we have been entrusted with. Oh, Westside, may we never call what God has called miraculous and inconvenience to us. He's entrusted this to us. But what's interesting about this is he's not just entrusted this to us and it's like, good luck. Here's all kinds of responsibility. Don't mess it up, right? He's empowered us to accomplish it. See, in verse 48, in the exegetical argument of this, the tense of the language is in a third-person participle, and none of you understood what I just said, and that's fine. Here's what it means. The way the language is argued is that we are not just given and demanded, but the way given and demanded are joined together points back to the rest of the verse that thrust with the tense. God empowers us to do it. How crazy is that? Listen, you want to talk about grace? Let's talk about grace for a moment. What's grace? Grace is an unearned gift from an unobligated giver. That's grace. And God has graced Westside so much that he is... And listen, we get it. It's just God's season and time. We don't think we're doing like, oh, you know, we're the only Jenny on the block or anything like that. We don't... I mean... I always say all the time, we're like a turtle on a fence post. I don't know how I got here, but I love the view, man. You know what I mean? Grace is so much so here at this church that God has given us such a great responsibility. But he's also said, fear not, for I have given you the ability to accomplish it as well. That's found in the people. And what is a great mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ? This is the language that we use here. Faithful service is the mark of spiritual maturity. Faithful service is. Jesus in John 13 takes the towel, ties it around his waist, the attire of an ancient slave. God put on slave clothes and washed people's feet. And he said, you are to go do likewise. You're to serve each other. 
Do you know what he did not say that would be the mark of us as Christians? They will know that you are my disciples by how much you argue on Facebook. Then they'll really know. They'll really know. They will know that you are my disciples by how many picket signs you have and what you're against. By this, they will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. That's it. Listen, you are as only as spiritually strong as you are weak loving the least person that you like. There's a gauge for you. I don't care what systematic theology, what stream of faith, this, that, or the other. What are your relationships like with the people of God? And how are you loving and striving and serving one another? So what are we supposed to accomplish? The first thing I've already said it is faithful service. Faithful service. To serve faithfully. There are a myriad of ways that you can serve here at Westside. I mean, a ton. If you're not involved in that, quite frankly, that's just simply on you. And listen to me. If you've received meals from someone, if you've received a baby shower, if you've done all of those things, guess what? That doesn't end with you. We reciprocate the grace in which we have received Grace is like a snowball at the top of a hill, man. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger the longer that it goes down. Get involved in that. The second thing is this, faithful giving as well. Probably the detriment, and I would say the weakness of my preaching ministry here at Westside, because we had so many unsaved people and non-church members, is I strayed a little bit away from talking about money, just simply because people go, oh, another preacher talking about money and all of that. Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined, so that's something I'm going to be ramping up a little bit, so just get ready, okay, all right? But here's the thing, if it comes to faithful service, then what you're saying is my time is not my own. But when we go to faithful giving, we're saying that I am a steward and not an owner. So by the grace of God, last year we met and exceeded our budget. And so money and ministry are difficult to talk about sometimes, even though Jesus' ministry was funded. And here's what you have to understand. Ministry does not follow money. Eh, wrong. Money follows ministry. That's the way that that happens. When you see people and their needs getting met, I mean, we take care of people. We send people to intensive counseling. We do all types of things for the betterment of people. Last year, we gave away upwards of $17,000. I want to double that. I want to give more away. Because I believe that's one of the great marks of authenticity in 2018 when everybody's saying, I, me, me, mine, a bigger mansion for me. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Right? And you got to leave it to your kids and your in-laws to take care of the stuff, right? But I think somebody who is giving something away is a bright, shining light in 2018. I think it is like a magnet of grace when you go towards that. I could give a rip about building the kingdom of Westside. The only thing that Jesus promised would not return void is his word and that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Those are the two things that you invest into. And so for this up-and-coming year, now that we have more people, guess what we have? More problems, right? So we need more people being taken care of, more ministry. We're looking at increasing our staffing and doing all of these type of things. 
And did you know that if you broke it down to boots on the ground, that to meet our budget next year, it would only take every Sunday attender from the nursery to in here to give $22 a week. 22 bucks a week. The average American spends about $2,200 a year on Wi-Fi. All I'm saying is at this point, what God has entrusted with us, he empowers us some things as well. And Jesus wants a return on his investment. He's a wise investor. So it's not just faithful service and faithful giving, but here's probably more than anything, faithful perseverance. What we don't need are one-off flash-in-the-pan serving, right? You get excited, like, after this sermon, I know what's going to happen, and it's crazy. Like, I preach, like, sometimes I make you mad, and you're like, I'm coming back next week. I can't believe you said that. I'm coming back next week. See if he says it again. That's unbelievable, right? So I know what's going to happen after this, like the conviction, the guilt type of thing. But Oh, i got to sign up for nursery, and you start, like, one time in nursery, and then the blackout dates start coming, and then all this other stuff. That's not what we need. When I grew up at Emerson Street, there was a lady who taught Sunday school there for 27 years. 27 years. I just want to be there the day that she meets Jesus in heaven. And to see that crown with all those jewels... And Jesus is going to say, guys who wrote systematic theology and did all this type of stuff, gather around and come meet her. Because look at the influence. Just fa- and, and listen, all of this changes, all of this changes when church and this life and this community goes from being a balancing, juggling act and being a part of your life to being the heart of your life. So now it's the electric bill, this, that, my giving. Now it's, you know, family vacation, here's my work schedule, now where can I serve? Not the balancing act of being a part, but rather it being the heart. I love what Eugene Peterson says what discipleship is. He says, following Jesus and discipleship is this. You ready? It's real flashy, it's real glamorous, right? It's a long obedience in the same direction. What are you doing? Just walking with Jesus. Where? I don't know, wherever he tells me. How long have you been doing it? Long time. It's a long obedience in the same direction. So Jesus has entrusted this to us and empowered this for us. So as Tyler comes and leads us in a time of response, I've got one last story I want to tell you. Yes, I do have an agenda behind this sermon. Absolutely, unashamedly, right? And I believe that you can find it right there in verse 48. In the 1600s, there was a group of people called the French Huguenots. Now, that's not something out of the Lord of the Rings, okay, right? The French Huguenots were a Protestant group of people who were being persecuted in France by the Roman Catholic Church. And they crossed the English Channel to come over to England to escape persecution. History records that too many of them gathered on a boat. There was too many. And when they sailed far away and were crossing the English Channel, the boat began to sink. So what did they do? Did they draw straws? 
Did they say, well, you haven't contributed, you haven't done this, you're, you're, you're going off board? Unanimously, literally without speaking, the leaders got off the boat first and swam beside it to alleviate the weight. Then when they got tired, they got in the boat and some women and other men and children who were old enough to swim, they swam alongside the boat. And then when they got tired, they got in the boat and then other people got in the water and they made it across the English Channel. Each member and each person taking their turn getting in the water for the betterment of the whole. You see, West Side is like that ship and it's the kingdom of God and we're advancing forward. The question I have to ask you today is this. Are you willing to get in the water? Are you willing to get in the water and swim alongside? And oh yes, you will get tired. But the moment that you get tired, there will be a hand to reach up, to pull you in, and to take the turn. Westside, Jesus has entrusted us with much. May we pray and ask Him and seek diligently what we need to do to further this. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're grateful. Grateful to know that you have given us much. It's unbelievable to think about this. Oh God, I believe that there are people in this room today who have gifts that are beyond measure. God, I believe that there are people in this room today who haven't gotten in the water and they haven't experienced the joy of serving. God, I pray that as you advance us into 2018, that you would grant us more people, that more people would come to meet you, Jesus, who don't know you and who would be saved from an eternity separated with you and brought into this marvelous light. God, I feel it in my bones you want that this year. And people who already know you to grow more in loving and serving you. God, we love you. Thank you for this time. Have your way with us. We pray this in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and respond in song today?